I can't draw, just so you know. I mean, I can draw stick figures. That's about it, actually. I can't, I can't do it. I mean, there are people out there that have this artistic ability, you know. I didn't, I didn't get it. I can't, I can't do it as hard as I try. I sometimes see what my kids draw, like my three-year-old daughter, and I go, couldn't draw that. Can't do it. I mean, you know, you know the type of person that they're doodling on the pad and like this beautiful flower comes out or this mountainous landscape. And I go, I, I couldn't even do that if I tried. I've watched YouTube videos. I've taken classes over my life. And it doesn't matter how hard I've tried. It doesn't matter how much effort I put in. I just can't do it. You don't believe me, do you? I'll prove it to you. I asked a couple of people this week from our church to draw something simple. They, they drew a puppy dog. Only had a couple of minutes to do it. Here's this first one. This is from Terry Young. I'd take that dog home. <laughs> That's so good. Really good job, Terry. And here, here's, here's another one. This is from Chase Bannister. I mean, just the character, the puppy dog eyes, the, the eyebrows. I mean, this week, when we were preparing to do this, I was like, you know, I mean, I might draw and it might be better than we need it to be and the illustration would get ruined. Check mine out. <laughs> I tried, actually. I was asked this morning if that was a platypus. <laughs> Quite clearly, it says wolf, so no. That's also how I'm feeling right now. Woof, woof. I'm aware, it's embarrassing, I'm aware. I just can't do it, though, no matter how hard I try. Is there something in your life that that reminds you of, something that you just want to be able to do and you want to put every effort in, and maybe you have, but you just can't do it, no matter how hard you try? Maybe it's something trivial. You wish you could dunk a basketball. You wish you could knit. You wish that you could whistle a little bit better or something like that. Maybe it's something else. You wish that you could get a handle on your finances. You wish that that relationship would happen for you no matter how hard you try. You wish you could figure out your, your physical fitness. Maybe it's something spiritual for you. You wish that you could figure out some of this Jesus stuff. It just doesn't make any sense or you wish that your relationship with Jesus was a little deeper, a little bit more vibrant, or maybe you just wish you understood it a little bit more. You just don't know what to do with all of these things that you hear or you read. It's a theme in life, no matter how hard we work, no matter how much effort we put in, sometimes we just can't seem to get it together. Now, we're in this share series, and we've talked about the importance of sharing your life and building relationships with other people. We've also talked about sharing your story and how your story matters to God. In life groups this week, we're going to talk specifically about how to share God's story. But today, this morning, we are going to specifically talk about the story of Jesus but through the eyes of a guy named Nicodemus. This story is from the book of John. Now, John is one of the Gospels. Gospel just simply means good news. There are four Gospels in the Bible. It's in the New Testament, kind of the second half of the Bible. And they're about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And we're in the book of John. Now, I think Nicodemus felt like this. 
What do I need to do? I put so much effort in, and there's this thing that came up to him all the time. It echoed in his ears. What do I need to do to assure my place in heaven? What do I need to do? How much effort do I need to put in? How can I earn it? Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. That means he was a religious teacher. And Pharisees at the time had a full-time job of being good and doing good. That was their job. They were the best of the best. Now, I often would see Pharisees in the Bible when I read the Bible as kind of the villains, you know? Like they have a, the handlebar mustache, and they're going, I'll get you, my pretty. And they're, I'll get Jesus if it's the last thing I do. And that's, that's not how Pharisees really are. They're not foolish. They were the smartest and the brightest and the best leaders, And Nicodemus was the best of the best. And while a lot of Pharisees didn't like Jesus because they thought that he was teaching some pretty weird stuff against them, Nicodemus thought, you know, there's something to this guy. So Nicodemus decided he wanted to go hear Jesus' story. More specifically, Nicodemus wanted to get together and he wanted to ask the question, what do I need to do to get to heaven? So that was his plan, and that's where we're picking up the story. This is John 3. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now let's set the scene. It's nighttime. Nicodemus is scared to go and talk to Jesus. He doesn't want anybody to know. So he kind of tiptoes in, you know, Nicodemus super spy-like. And he goes and he starts to talk to Jesus. But he has a plan before he gets in there. And he says, look, I'm going to go in. I'm going to show respect to Jesus. And then I'm going to ask my question. How do I get to heaven? What do I need to do? Okay, so I'm going to go in. I'm going to show respect to Jesus. And then what do I need to do to get to heaven? Okay, so here I go. And he goes in. And he shows Jesus respect. He calls him rabbi, which is a sign of respect. And he even says, I know who you are because of what you do. You do miracles. And since you do miracles, that means you're from God. And if you're from God, that means that you know the answer to my question. And he's about to ask the question. He's got it geared up. What do I need to do to get to heaven? He's ready. And Jesus interrupts him and answers it without him asking. He doesn't even get the question out. This is what Jesus says. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He doesn't even get to ask it. And Jesus answers him. And his answer is weird. What does that even mean? Have you ever been in that where you're, you're asking God a question and, and, and the answer is maybe bizarre? Or weird? Or you don't understand? Sometimes when I ask my kids something, they respond that way, right? Here recently, my three-year-old daughter, Eliza, we were kind of going through the bedtime routine, and I asked, is there somebody you'd like to pray for? And she answered, gla-googly, clear as day, gla-googly. And I said, well, excuse me? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, 
gla-googly. Who's gla-googly? My friend. Imaginary? And she goes, from church. So if one of you is named gla-googly, I'd like to introduce myself and I'd like to understand how you've been interacting with my daughter. <laughs> Nicodemus is asking, how can I get to heaven? And Jesus' answer is weird. He says, be born again. And we've interacted with that term. Maybe we don't even understand it, but we've heard that, right? Be born again. Nicodemus, not so much. He didn't understand what that meant. And he took it literally. He thought, what? This is a classic response. If I'm not careful, this is all I'll talk about all day. This is what he said. What do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back? Go back in, into his mother's womb and be, you know, born again? Now, I was there when all three of my kids were born. I had the honor to do that. And I know when you hold that baby for the first time, you go, how was this in there? You do that as a little bitty itty baby. Can you imagine being a full grown man? What's that conversation sound like? Hey, Ma, um, yeah, nine months. Now, Jesus told me to. I mean, like, it doesn't make any sense. And he literally thinks that that's what Jesus is saying. And, and I kind of think, valid point, sir. Nicodemus, well-educated guy, but he doesn't get it. So Jesus explains it a second time, and he says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water, a normal birth, and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life. Good to know. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Now, Nicodemus isn't even trying to fake it at this point. He's just straight up confused. And his question, how do I get to heaven, is answered by Jesus, be born again. And Nicodemus is like, anatomically, how are you going to make that happen? And Jesus says, not physical birth, spiritual birth, right? And just like understanding the wind, you're not going to fully understand this. And Nicodemus's response so far has been so honest. Here's the next response. This is John 3, 9. How? Are these things possible? How? Isn't that awesome? The elite, educated, best of the best guy is basically shouting, I don't get it. How do I do it? Tell me what I need to do. Have you ever felt like that in a conversation with God? God, just tell me what I need to do with that relationship, with, with that grief, with that addiction, with that problem, with that hurt. Tell me what I need to do. And that's what Nicodemus is saying. And sometimes I think God's answer makes absolutely no sense to us. This is like a child asking their parent a question that they can't comprehend the actual answer. 
Imagine being an eight-year-old. It's a beautiful sunny day. You're driving with your mom and you say, hey, mommy, I have a question. Yeah, Johnny, what's your question? Mommy, why is the sky blue? And then your mom pauses thoughtfully and answers your question. Well, Johnny, the first step towards correctly explaining the color of the sky was taken by John Tyndall in 1859. He discovered that when light passes through a clear fluid, holding particles in suspension, the shorter blue waves are scattered more strongly than the red. Sunlight reaches Earth's atmosphere, is scattered in all directions by all the gases and particles in the air. The light from the sun looks white, but is really made up of all the colors of the rainbow. And blue light is scattered more than the other colors because it travels in shorter, smaller waves. And Johnny, that's why the sky is blue. And Johnny answers, are you talking to me? <laughs> Jesus answered the question. Now Nicodemus is confused, and Jesus answers it again for the third time. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Did you catch it? Jesus is bringing the heat toward Nicodemus. He's calling him out. You're elite. You're the smartest. You're the best educated, and you don't get it because it's not about what you think it's about. You think it's about religious acts, and it's not. Here's another way to say it for us today. It's not about what I do. Now, I want to be clear. God does care about how we behave. He does care about how we respond and follow. But that's not the answer to Nicodemus's question. How do I get to heaven? What do I need to do to assure my place in heaven? And the response isn't about what I need to do. That's what Nicodemus is going. He's going, how many times do I need to go to church? How many pennies do I need to give? How many times do I need to forgive? How many ways do I need to understand God to get to heaven? What do I need to do? I need to earn it, right? And Jesus says, nope. But that's what I kind of believe. I desperately want to earn my way. My kind of clock starts over every day and go, what do I need to do today and what do I need to do tomorrow to, to be good? Because good people get to go to heaven. That's the way that I think. Good people get to go to heaven. Bad people don't. Now, there's this TV show called The Good Place. It talks about the afterlife, and they talk about this concept. What it would be like if good people who do enough good things got to go to the good place. So check this out. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to your first day in the afterlife. You were all, simply put, good people. But how do we know that you were good? How are we sure? During your time on Earth, every one of your actions had a positive or a negative value. 
depending on how much good or bad that action put into the universe. Every sandwich you ate, every time you bought a magazine, every single thing you did had an effect that rippled out over time and ultimately created some amount of good or bad. You know how some people pull into the breakdown lane when there's traffic and they think to themselves, ah, who cares, no one's watching. We were watching. Surprise! <laughs> anyway, when your time on Earth has ended, we calculate the total value of your life using our perfectly accurate measuring system. Only the people with the very highest scores, the true cream of the crop, get to come here, to the good place. What happens to everyone else, you ask? Don't worry about it. The point is, you are here because you lived one of the very best lives that could be lived. Can you imagine if it was actually like that? Even if you're the best of the best, the elite of all religious people, it's not about what you do, stacking up enough things to earn your way. But we think in those terms, just work harder, just put more effort in, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, go the extra mile, do. Then you get what you deserve. But there's a little bit of kind of a logic problem there. What if we do get what we will deserve? This is Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We want to earn it, but we forget we can't earn it. It's not possible because God is perfect and we're not perfect. We fall short. We sin. We make mistakes. And a bunch of good things isn't enough for God. Even though we act like it is, he requires perfection, therefore we don't measure up because we've made mistakes. And that would be incredibly discouraging, except for Jesus and his amazing mercy through God's amazing grace. So we're going to break that down for a second. If we get what we deserve, we'd get justice. We all want justice, but if we're being honest, we want justice for somebody else, not for what we've done. Justice just means getting what we deserve. And if we get what we deserve, it means we're judged by this measurement, this measurement of perfection, and we fall short. Therefore, justice is not going to heaven and being in right relationship with God. We can't earn that. It's going somewhere else. If you're like me, I'm going to pass on justice because I know I can't do it. So that brings us to mercy I don't want justice for myself. Maybe what I want is mercy. Now, mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy isn't the absence of justice. It means that the judgment has come in and we're guilty, but we don't have to serve the punishment. We don't have to serve the sentence out. I'm okay with mercy. I like not receiving the punishment. And this helps me understand the love of God. A lot of times when we are talking about grace, we're actually talking about mercy. Now, if I'm honest, there are still times that I think I deserve this. Because, you know, I don't know, we, we think of ourselves as good people for the most part. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, but not anybody else. And we think, hey, I should be given leniency. But that's not the end of things when it comes to Jesus. It's not just not receiving punishment. 
It's receiving something else. It's grace. Now, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Because of Jesus, how he lived a perfect life, because he took on this justice, this punishment, and got what we deserve, dying for my shortcomings and your shortcomings, we receive grace. And we don't deserve a right relationship with God. We've fallen short, but he gives it to us anyway, even if we can't earn it. Here's kind of a way to explain it. Say you're going down I-65 and you are going as fast as you can. Not construction though, so you're not going 15 miles an hour, you're going 100 miles an hour. And you get pulled over. What's justice? What do you deserve? A ticket. It's what you deserve. I know it doesn't feel like that. You're just going with the flow of traffic. But that's what you deserve, right? Is justice. So the police officer comes out. And he gives you a warning. That's mercy. That's not getting what you deserve. So say he doesn't give you a warning. What's grace in this scenario? Grace is getting a $25 Starbucks gift card. (laughs) It blows our mind. It, It doesn't even compute for us, right? It's not about justice. It's not about mercy. It's about grace. And Jesus didn't stop with saying, hey, it's not about what you do, Nicodemus. He actually answers the question a couple of times. So now he just boils it down. This is his story, God's story in two verses of the Bible. It's John 3, 16 and 17. I absolutely love these verses. They're the most popular verses in the Bible. A lot of people know them. A lot of people interact with them. And if you've ever wondered the context around John 3.16, this is it. So he keeps asking and asking and asking. And finally, Jesus says this, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. It's not about what we can do for ourselves to get to heaven. It's about what Jesus has already done. It's not about what I do because of what Jesus has done. Now, when he says this to Nicodemus, the story hasn't been completed, right? We're kind of in the middle of the story. And Jesus says directly to Nicodemus, hey, belief, not a laundry list of actions, is the answer. And Nicodemus and Jesus keep talking for a while. But we don't know in this moment what Nicodemus' response is to all of this. Does he believe? I don't know. And it just doesn't seem finished, right? But if you fast forward, Jesus interacts with Nicodemus two more times. And the last time he interacts with Nicodemus, the circumstances are a little different. This is John 19.30. It's the last words Jesus speaks before he dies. And he says, it is finished. It's done. In the same chapter, John 19, we see Nicodemus for the final time. There's a guy, another guy, a secret follower of Jesus. His name's Joseph. Joseph and Nicodemus work together to bury Jesus. That night, It's in the middle of the night again. First time he interacts, middle of the night. Last time he interacts, middle of the night. What do you think was going on in Nicodemus' head? Maybe he was saying, how could it be finished? 
He said it wasn't about what I do, but he, how could he have been who he says he was? If he was the son of God, God couldn't even save his son. Maybe he goes back over some of the words that Jesus said to him in that conversation. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Okay, so maybe Nicodemus says, I don't understand. And these words, these, it is finished, it is finished. It keeps ringing in his ears and he doesn't know what to do. And he goes, hey, if, if what Jesus said is true, what, and it's not about what I need to do, what, what am I supposed to do now? And he goes, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes will not perish but have eternal life. What does that mean for everyone who believes and believes? I don't know. And just maybe in the darkness and in the pain and in the hurt and in the confusion, he goes, it is finished. It is finished, but not the way that I thought. It's not about what I can do. It's about what Jesus can do. Jesus actually answered my question for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes, he answered the question simply, everyone who believes. Our response to his story, this beautiful masterpiece of a story, is to believe, and that's it. How beautiful is that? And we think our stories are about us. We think God's story is about us. But what's amazing is we're just these small threads in this beautiful tapestry of a story. And our response to his story is to believe, is to follow. That's it. When you die, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you believe in him, his promise is that you will spend eternity with God in heaven. That's what John 3.16 says. There's a place where there's no death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. And it's not about what I do. I can't earn it if I wanted to. It's about what Jesus has already done for me and for you. And our response isn't complicated. It's simple. It's to believe. Will you bow your head with me? Maybe you already believe in Jesus. And my prayer for you today is that this encourages you, it reminds you that Jesus really is who he says he is. And that he will do what he says he will do and that he has done what he says he has done and that he did die on the cross, that he conquered death by rising from the grave on the third day and that everyone who believes in him will join him in heaven. Maybe this is the first time you felt that nudge before. I want you to know that's a personal decision that each of us has to make. Do I want to accept who Jesus is that he did die on the cross to pay for my sins where I fall short? Do I believe? Do I want to accept my role in his story? Do I want to trust to surrender my life to him? We can have the hope of eternal life not because of what we do, how good we are, but by putting our faith, our belief, 
and what Jesus has done. And you can make that decision in your heart today by praying to God and to tell him, God, I believe. I accept that you are who you say you are. I want to follow you. And if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that today. Our response to his amazing story is to believe. I'd like to pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I have to confess that I don't always live like this is true. Sometimes I live like I do need to earn it, that I can even earn it. I pay attention more to what I'm doing than what I'm believing. And I am so thankful in this moment right now, I am so thankful that it's not about what I do. That it's not about me really at all. It's about you. And that you've reached down into each one of our stories and have made them yours. And I am so thankful that we have this opportunity, whether we've believed for a long time or we're not sure if we believe, we have this opportunity to respond to your story each and every day just by our faith, by our belief. I am so thankful that you love us in such a real way, that you loved us through Jesus and the cross and the grave, and that those things pale into comparison with heaven. I'm thankful that your story encapsulates mine. And it's because of Jesus that we pray today. Amen.